Today we are engaged in a final all-out battle between communistic atheism and Christianity. The modern champions of communism have selected this at the time. And ladies and gentlemen, the chips are down. They are truly down. Joseph McCarthy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that was nice. Yeah, that was that was terrible. Okay, so anyways, <laughs> hey folks, good people, person out there, and podcast stavia uh well you're listening to the loathsome things a horror movie podcast where we discuss um horror movies <laughs> okay and uh <laughs> my name is john uh with me as always is josh my lovely co-host josh how fareth thee oh i i fareth somewhat well uh podcast stavia yeah it's a small town you're right. Somewhere in California. Yeah. <laughs> it's close to Santa Mira. Oh, yeah. That Bing real bong. place yep. in California. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm doing okay. I am getting a, uh, I'm getting oral surgery tomorrow. So uh, right now I am in a wee of pain, but it's mm. going to be okay because uh, I actually have dental insurance ah. for like the first time in forever. So it's nice. Yeah, that's good. Gonna have an extraction, yeah. are you? I'm gonna have a root canal. Oh. They're gonna drill into me like an oil rig. Oh, good time. I had an extraction earlier this year and have a nice gap in the back of my teeth where there's no molar. <laughs> uh, because I was supposed to have a, a root canal. It had already had a cap on it, a crown. And the it went bad underneath, so I was gonna have to have a root canal and then have it recrowned. It would It was gonna cost me, like with insurance, like $3,000. Jesus, no. <laughs> so I was like, no, nah, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, that is the thing about dental insurance that is just really great and really tells you a lot about capitalism. There's a maximum that it'll pay out. Mm -hmm. So so it's like the opposite of medical insurance where, all right, after you've paid this much, then then we'll just cover the rest of it, basically, except for like co-pays or whatever. But with dental insurance, it's like, yeah, once you hit this much, you're on your own. Yeah, you're done. It was nice knowing you. Yeah, Thank good luck, guy. Thanks for all the money. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I didn't have dental insurance or go see a dentist for such a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a mess. Uh, capitalism. Yeah. Capitalism can eat my shorts. Yeah, it's it's not the. I don't know if there are better, actual better ones out there yeah. for for a country of our magnitude, but I don't think puritanical capitalism is necessarily the right. Well, it's a, it's of interesting that we're discussing this given the subject matter of the film that we have chosen to discuss, Josh. What film are we discussing this uh, this fine day? I don't know. On this very fine early April afternoon, John and I are discussing Don Siegel's original, not adaptation of anything else at all, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That was an adaptation of the novel. Shh. <laughs> The original story! <laughs> yes, part of uh, what turned out to be three films. Uh, four. Well, four, I guess, if is, is because of there's a uh, 
sequel or something? There's this one, the original. There's the 1978 film directed by Philip Kaufman. The 1993 film, Body Snatchers, directed by Abel Ferrara. And then, of course, the 2007 film, The Invasion, starring Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig, directed by Oliver Hirschbagel. And, uh... Wow. (laughs) And it looks really, really bad. And we're not doing that one, right? I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, if, If there's, like, a super high demand, they're like, do another one! Do another one! Then we might think about it, but... It's kind of like with Carrie. We were like, maybe after all three Carries, we'll come back around to to Carrie 2, the shirkening of responsibilities. Uh, And then we didn't. I think that's going to be the invasion for us. Yeah, well, I guess if we hear back from our fan, then we'll see see what uh, they, the fan, says. (laughs) Yeah, maybe Ramon is a big Nicole Kidman fan. (laughs) Ramon? Well, I guess we have two fans. We've got Ramon... And and uh, occasionally Ron, and, yeah. uh, and then we have our fan that we don't actually know. <laughs> <laughs> fan numero tres. Yeah, whose name escapes me at the moment. And then there's that person that there's a few people, and then and there's then, a few people, and then of course Taiwan. Taiwan, yes, yeah, the entire <laughs> nation of Taiwan. Yes, <laughs> correct. We. <laughs> Oh. Ooh, tie one on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. The movie stars Doctor. No, no, it doesn't. It stars Kevin. <laughs> doctor Kevin McCarthy. No, he's yeah. not a doctor, but he plays one on TV. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, the actor famous for having the nose you can look up when you're staring at him straight on. Oh man, and that chin. That yeah. chin like a brick. Yeah. Yeah. He's. Not the most handsome leading man in Hollywood. But he is distinctive. Like, he is. You watch this movie and you're like, where do I know him from? And it turns out that you know him from the movie UHF, the <laughs> Weird Al Yankovic movie. That's where he right. pay- played the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He does have a role in the remake. Um, of course, yep. it's not, you know, like, it's not a mage. He's not the... It, his role is played by D. South, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least as the main dude. And he did reprise his role as Dr. Bunnell in the 2003 film Looney Tunes Back in Action. (laughs) That's awesome. I do like Kevin McCarthy, but he's, he's, he definitely has a distinctive look. That's true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he was in like basically one episode of every 50s, 60s and 70s TV series. Yeah. Just like his co-star, Dana, Dana Winter, who plays Becky Driscoll. She was in Airport and then every television show ever made. Yeah, and occasionally went uh, in the credits as Dagmar Winter. Whoa! (laughs) And then later became, uh, like, a weird journalist. Like, she she wrote articles in National Review and Country Living. Yikes. (laughs) Wow, that's terrifying. Yeah. A homemaking right-winger. Yeah. And then we've got, of course, the amazing Carolyn Jones, the original Morticia Adams. Yes. Here she plays Teddy. Yes. Also, in a little cameo role, Sam Peckinpah plays a meter reader. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, Sam Peckinpah uh, was quite a character, and uh, he 
went to his death claiming he wrote the screenplay to this movie, for which he's not credited. <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. Oh, Sam. <laughs> uh, Don Siegel made Dirty Harry. He made Escape from Alcatraz. He made this. Uh, he, he made Play Misty for me with uh, with Clint Eastwood. He's made some some bangers. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he was like, Clint Eastwood's... Um like mentor and uh clint eastwood even dedicated the movie unforgiven to him nice and uh he also famously directed ronald reagan and john wayne in both of their final movie roles in in both role uh, both scenes in which uh ronald reagan's final movie role in which his character died and john wayne's final uh movie role in which his character died oh was it coogan's bluff is that the one yeah no it was uh the shootest oh the Shootish was the last one for John Wayne and the Killers for Ronald Reagan. Wow, see, yeah. see how it all comes around-ish. See what you can do with a, a nice jar of jelly beans and and a little directing talent. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh dear God. Uh, let's see what else. What other trivia? Uh, the frame narrative. Um, the frame narrative around this movie was uh, not originally supposed to be in here. But Allied Artists was like, uh, ooh, this movie's real depressing without uh, something to make it happy. Why don't you give it a frame narrative? And he was like, ooh, that sucks. And they were like, well, you're going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, get used to it. (laughs) Yes, the good old days. And they haven't changed. No, no, not a bit. Not a bit. Uh, That's all I got on it. You got anything else? Yeah, no, McCarthy apparently was like, basically spent the entire shoot running and the, it only took 19 days to make the movie so he basically ran for 19 days and uh by the end of the movie where they they shoot the final scene he was so tired that there was a legitimate risk of him him getting hit by a car <laughs> oh god yeah dude looks real flimsy in that scene yeah uh yeah and they also they tried to they tried to shoot down the red scare ties which was like come on guys that's so obvious and I'm going to make an argument against this being a Red Scare movie at nice, the end. Nice, Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, one last little bit. There were apparently uh, at some of the theaters on opening day or night or whatever, they had paper mache pods yeah. uh, with like, you know, cardboard cutouts of Kevin McCarthy and uh, Dagmar running for their lives. <laughs> Dagmar? <laughs> <laughs> that name is great. <laughs> Who names their daughter Dagmar? (laughs) What are you in a comic strip? Get out of here. (laughs) That's right. That's about it. (laughs) Oh, man. Good times. Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, So Don Siegel was uh, famous for being um, kind of an asshole director, not to his actors, but to uh, like in his practices. Yeah. He would sneak onto movie sets, like part of his tight recording uh, schedule was they worked through the night, basically. Yeah. And he would sneak onto the big uh, uh, studio's movie sets and film at night whenever no one was there and then get out of there before security found them. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. (laughs) I love the guerrilla filmmaking in Hollywood. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's good. All right. Um... Anything else? Uh, do we need to warn? Are there, I mean, I guess there's a little bit that it it deals with Capgra delusion, which is a, a really, really terrifying actual um, ailment that people suffer from, where they think that 
the people around them, especially people that they love around them, have been replaced with with falsehoods. So if that's not your deal, then just come back in May, I guess. Yeah, when we're done covering those movies and, you know, then maybe... And, and good luck on your treatment, by the way, for Mardi Gras delusion. Yeah. <laughs> Is it pronounced something different? I have no idea. I'd never heard of it oh. until I read about it. <laughs> no, it's like Capgrass. It can't be Capgrass. <laughs> Capgrass delusion. <laughs> Capgrass. <laughs> All right, so we're going to dive right on into it. Uh, It begins with the frame narrative. A psychologist is assessing Dr. Miles Bunnell for craziness. Uh, It turns out that when Miles returned home to beautiful Santa Mira, something was different. Everyone in town had needed to see the doctor while he was away. Miles saw the Grimaldi boy running away from his mother in a panic. The Grimaldi's vegetable stand is a mess, though usually it is the best vegetable stand in the whole wide road. Um, (laughs) Becky shows up wearing what can only be described as a gift bag, and uh, the music implies that she is in fact very beautiful. Yes. Uh, The next day, the Grimaldi boy doesn't think his mom is really his mom. Becky's cousin doesn't think Uncle Ira is really Uncle Ira. They all they they have all of the memories of the person, but not the same actual person inside, according to these freaks of nature. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Kaufman, the town psychiatrist, has seen a dozen patients in the last week, all with the same condition. Becky and Miles are seen kissing, and it establishes that Miles can identify Becky by her sweet, sweet kisses. Before Miles and Becky get down to some pre-doing-it cocktails, they're summoned away to the Belichick house. (laughs) So Bill Belichick comes out with Tom Brady, and wait, (laughs) hold on, my bad. Football references that everyone will get. (laughs) Especially in Taiwan. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, so anyways, yeah. So the gang shows up at uh, Jack's house, Jack and Teddy's house, and they direct uh, Dr. Miles over to the pool table where there's a... uh, He pulls back the cover and there's a body laying there that uh, is kind of like a rubberized, kind of like, kind of looks like Jack, but not quite Jack. (laughs) (laughs) The music is extremely dramatic. Um, they, they take its fingerprints, which are basically just a bunch of ink blobs, uh, so it has no fingerprints, and then it's time to drink booze. So they go to the the little bar, and uh, they start drinking a lot and kind of chatting about it. And, uh, you know, there's this theory that Jack and or his lady has, I should say, Teddy, uh, that uh, or Morticia, as I call her, of course, uh, that, yeah. that Jack is a copy of some sort, you know, because I mean that's that's whatever. Then there's a bunch of talk about mass hysteria and how, you know, people um, become hysterical on mass. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> and uh, so they have that little talk, and then Miles leaves, uh, telling Jack to call the doctor in the morning, or if anything changes overnight, call me with updates. So, in in. In reference, I'm like looking back on that. Basically, what happens is they have a corpse on the pool table that they found. It looks like Jack, but not really. Why don't you just go ahead and keep him on your pool table all night? 
and then in the morning call the doctor. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> And then Miles, we find out that Miles is actually, he's scared. You know, they think, well, I mean, it could be mass hysteria that people are saying that other people don't seem like the people that the people used to be. But now there's a double person people on the pool table made of rubber. So he's a little bit worried. Um, then he goes back to his place with uh, Becky. Or is it her place? It's a place. And yeah, they return to the place, place. And uh, Jack is so worried he's very concerned i mean he's very out of sorts so he tries to fuck her and uh she gives this great line that way lies madness (laughs) he's like what's wrong with madness and her response is madness (laughs) so cock block (laughs) that was great yeah there is a lot of, like, really uncomfortable sexual innuendo from these 1950s white people, which I think is, like, part of part part of my argument okay. that this isn't Red yeah. Scare. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then we discover back at Jack's house that uh, Teddy is, is uh, she discovers, or she sees that fake Jack moves a little bit. And uh, earlier Jack had cut his hand in a melodramatic uh, overacting scene where he drops a giant decanter full of whiskey on the ground and then slashes his hand open, which made no sense. Yeah, he it, it, he he cut his hand open on nothing. Like, yeah, he, just... he dropped a decanter which cut his hand open. Yeah, it was very strange. Lots of things like that in this movie. Yeah, it was it was weird. And so the the fake Jack now has a bloody palm. So Morticia freaks the fuck out. They call Miles. He calls Dr. Kaufman, who uh, is kind of like, yeah, all right, yeah, okay. So he's <laughs> he's really worried. Dr. Kaufman's really upset. And then um, Miles is now worried for Becky because, you know, that's his, that's his, how's it going? Yeah. So he hops in his car and bouncy drives over to her house in what can only be described as the most bouncy vehicle, like, those cars are so bouncy. <laughs> they really are. All throughout the movie, every every car is made on like rubber ball wheels. It's awesome. It's, it's just like <laughs> Jesus. Uh, he senses something's wrong, so he uh, breaks a window and climbs into the basement and starts snooping around and checks in. I guess a coal bin. I assume that's what that was, and finds a fake Becky. It's yeah. just a big box with a lid on it. Fake Becky's in there. He freaks the fuck out. He goes upstairs. Her dad's asleep. Becky is asleep, too. He's having trouble waking her up. So he just picks her up and carries her to his car and leaves. Fuck her dad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Abducts Becky. Never. Mm. Yeah. Not a problem. And who cares nope. about her dad? Uh, <laughs> with They're with Jack again. Uh, she's awake in her little nighty. So that's very cute. Uh, he tells them all what happened. They they discover that uh, the fake Jack is now gone. He has left the pool table. And uh, then we uh, get this bullshit about an ice pick. What was that bit? I forget the ice pick bit. The, the doctor explains how they might, like, how Miles, a doctor, the psychiatrist, tells Miles, a medical doctor, That's that... Right. Um, that uh, you could stab someone in the back of the head, at the base of the skull, with an ice pick, 
kill them and leave a wound so small that it would be invisible to the naked eye. Thus you, a medical doctor, wouldn't notice it. Whereas I, a psychiatrist, definitely would. Yeah, I love how Danny is like the, the he's like the philosopher of the group. Yeah. Like he just goes <laughs> off on this ridiculous rant. It's like, dude, calm down. <laughs> so, yeah, I called him, what did I call him? Dr. Sartre. <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, so they go to they go to uh, Becky's place because he wants to show Danny, you know that uh, uh, that he did actually see this fake Becky. So go ahead, open the thing. Go ahead, open it. Go ahead. So he opens it, and of course she's not there. But look, what is there is a blanket wrapped up over some shit, and so Doctor Sartre is like, "Well, you see, I, you have clearly seen a blanket wrapped around shit, and so." Your mind made up... Like, nobody even questions why there's a blanket wrapped around shit in the coal thing. <laughs> or the wood bin. I guess it's wood. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Or is it a freezer? I don't God. know what it is. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that. Uh, yeah. Be Becky's dad shows up. Nick, the cop, pops in the transom window. And... I love that. He's got the gun out and everything. <laughs> He's a total ass. He's just like... Well, you know, the, 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 uh, and then he's like, <laughs> says he's going to take the, I ought to take you two to jail for leaving a body on the pool table overnight. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> Apparently they've, they've found the fake Jack burning um, yeah. somewhere just completely else. And because they found the fake Jack burning somewhere completely else, there's nothing wrong. So everyone is sent home. Yeah, it's fine. It's what? what? Um, yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that Becky's dad just like finds three randos trespassing in his basement. Yeah. And then a cop pops it through the window, just his head and his gun. <laughs> so great. Uh, back at Dr. Miles's place, uh, he's startled because a gas dude is in the basement. Yes. She's like, oh, I just wanted to read your meter by crawling into your basement. So <laughs> then that that, that kind of brushes over whatever. And then Miles and Becky eat eggs. Oh, God. <laughs> then we find that Jack and Morticia had stayed over. They wake up. Uh, they, you know, Jack is like, if you don't mind, I would like if uh, uh, Teddy and I were able to remain here during the... And the... Um, <laughs> And then the, uh, yeah, it's so weird. So then what, okay, so then there's this lady that he had, he runs into this lady later, Jack, I mean, uh, Dr. Miles, who he had seen earlier in the movie and, and you know, she's just wasn't herself and she was going to have her, you know, come in so he could check her out. So she comes in, but now she's like, I am fine, Dr. Miles. Nothing is wrong with me. So he's like, oh, well, that's great. Wow. Okay. And then she leaves. And then we see her with her alien dude, like another yeah. person who is actually an alien. And they're like, yeah. So anyways, <laughs> so also in the waiting room, by the way, is Jimmy Grimaldi with his mom. And everything's fine now. Everybody's everything's happy. Fine. Mom's back to normal. Everything's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, back home, Miles finds, uh, all of his guests are hanging out in his backyard. They're just about to grill, waiting for him to come home with the steaks. So while all of this is going on, he also did grocery shopping. Good. 
Um, and they're hanging out in what is either his backyard or possibly his greenhouse. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I know. Uh, but then we see, they hear, and we see uh, the that there are pods all throughout his greenhouse. They are foaming and popping open in really cool practical effects for the time. Yeah. And then there's like body-shaped, like beans inside that are unfolding and like continuing to fizz it's really really good and then they just kind of put together that the uh these body snatchers replicate their the humans that they're trying to emulate or whatever while the humans are asleep they realize then by phone calls and such that the cops are in on it and the only hope is to get you know like the national guard or police officers from other towns because the cops around here are shit in california <laughs> yeah uh miles can't bring himself to spear becky's pod with the pitchfork uh, but he does manage to spear his own in another really good practical effect uh miles and becky go to get nurse sally uh, when they get there, they see that the pod council is convened there. They escape, but are chased. The cop guy puts out an APB to detain them, and uh, the entire Santa Mira police force is now engaged in pursuing Miles and Becky. They hide where no one would think to look for them in his doctor's office and evade capture throughout <laughs> the sleepless, stimulant-fueled night of kisses. Uh, the next morning, they see the town at the town center distributing pods to be sent to the surrounding towns. And then finally, Jack knocks on the door. They're like, oh, at last, Jack, Jack came back. But he's there with everyone else. It turns out they got to Jack. They also got to Teddy. Uh, he confronts Becky and Miles. We learn that the seeds are from outer space. They fell from the sky and created the pods. He tells them that they'll be re reborn into an untroubled world where everyone is the same. Quote, there's no need for love. Yeah, no, I'm sure that has nothing to do with the Red Scare. <laughs> no. <laughs> Everyone's the same. Um, <laughs> so anyways, uh, yeah. So, yeah, well, basically they've discovered now that the whole place is, is basically taken over by aliens. They may be the only two left. And that obviously this is taking over, going to take over the whole country if it hasn't already. So the aliens go wait in the other room um, for whatever reason so that Miles and Becky can fall asleep. Uh, Be Becky immediately gets all sob story and is just like, <laughs> that's pretty much her role in the, in this part of this from here on out for the rest of the movie. Um, it's so bad the way they do play women like that in these movies. It's real bad. God. So Miles has this brilliant idea. He's going to make up some weird drug cocktail so he can dose the aliens. We don't know what it is, but it, he's... He's taking a little bit of medicine from all these different bottles, which is apparently his his potticide. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, then he's like, nice. then, then Becky grows a pair for just like a minute and is like, well, there's two of us, so I can help you. So that happens. And then um, they, uh, Miles hides in the cupboard, but before he does, he kicks something over to make the noise. That brings the cops and the other alien folk in. And there's a bunch of needle stabbing going on. Uh, apparently the concoction worked because they're either dead or, or unconscious, whatever. They're, they're out of the way. Uh, great. That was very exciting. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> he comes up with this great plan that they're going to run to the highway so that they can warn people on the highway. Um, okay. And, uh, which is so weird. But the, they're not going to be able to get out of there because the whole town is overrun with aliens. So they're going to have to get all wide-eyed and don't show any emotion and we'll walk through town. Pretty, you know, cool idea. So they walk out the door and like immediately a dog almost gets hit by a truck and her dumbass screams. <laughs> it's just like, and of course a cop that they had just been talking to who was already like questionable, like about them, is like, hmm. So he goes to call <laughs> his other pod folk. And she's just, I like where she's like, I'm sorry. And then they run away. <laughs> like they take off. Yeah. <laughs> they, I'm sorry, then, Miles. <laughs> then he, he, he pulls her aside for a detour up the tallest, like the largest staircase. I've. It's like 500 stairs. Like what the hell is that? So yeah. I <laughs> get to the top of the stairs. They're completely exhausted, which is hilarious. And then at the top of the stairs is basically a crest that overlooks a fucking canyon. So they just run into a canyon and just start running across a California canyon, uh, being chased by a, a single file line of aliens <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> who aren't showing any emotion but sound very emotional. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, get them! Oh, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, it's and they so, went this way. <laughs> totally. It's like it's, all those sounds are there. It's great. Yeah. Um, they they hide in a cave and she starts whining again. Um, and then he tries to find a place to hide and then he sees like the first thing he sees is there's like some floorboards over a hole. So they get down under there and straighten the floorboards out. Like if he found them, why couldn't they find them just as easily? But yeah. they, they don't. They come running in like, maybe they went this way. And they go running down <laughs> over the things, the boards, whatever. And then they leave. Nope, they're not here. Let's go. And so they leave. And, uh. Now Becky's just, she just can't stay awake. She's just too tired. I mean, oh. she just can't. I oh. I know that we've been running for five, maybe ten minutes, but I just can't stay awake anymore. <laughs> God, she's fucking annoying. Um, they do then, lots of that, they, they do lots of that stuff where it's like two people that are just like rubbing their faces together with their mouths open, but not kissing. Yeah. It's really yeah. gross. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we hear what sounds kind of like Hawaiian music. It's like this with some lady singing over it. And it's really loud. And that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's just, I love that it's the most beautiful thing that she's ever heard, and it's just some song, just some <laughs> shitty, some shitty luau song or whatever. And Jack's I'm Jack, <laughs> like she's never seen a Disney movie. <laughs> Miles, who I keep calling Jack for some reason, um, it's fine. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, he looks like a Jack. He does. Uh, Miles decides that why don't you, who is you know can't stay awake to save your fucking life, literally, why don't you stay here in this dark cave while I go investigate this awful music? So he he runs over the top of the, the cave, and, and right over the top of the cage, cave just happens to be the largest, like, grow farm of pods. Like, just, I thought they were in the middle of nowhere by a cave. Now they're suddenly, you know... Like suddenly they're by like the world's largest 
iPod growing station or whatever. I don't know. It's stupid. And the music is just playing over the radio. Yeah, in a car. Yeah, it's just some stupid fucking song on the radio. Yeah, the most beautiful thing she ever heard. Some bucket of shit on a radio. On a 1955 pickup truck radio that you just know is good. (laughs) And it doesn't make any sense because it's pod people that are playing the music. Why are they playing the music? Do the pods grow better when they listen to bad music? I bet so. Oh my god. So he goes back to the cave. Oh, Becky. Oh, 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 you're kind of sort of awake, but not really. And he carries her away. She's the she's the most tired woman that's ever lived. And then, oh, guess what? She comes to. She's an alien. Somehow she magically fell asleep and turned into an alien without a pod. Just completely broke all the rules that have been established through the film just so that we can be scared by the unscary reveal that she's a pod lady. Okay. Yeah. And then more yeah. mountainous chasing. <laughs> yeah. But this time with He's narration. Over here. Yes. <laughs> and then I thought that we should run through the mountains some more. And like <laughs> Then they come across the busiest highway I've ever seen in my life, considering they're supposed to be out in rural California. It's just like cars everywhere and he Hug! he decides he's going to warn these people because, you know, he doesn't even know if they're pod people or not. So he's running through traffic trying to warn people and they're all like, get out of the road, you maniac. And <laughs> he climbs up on the back of a truck full of pods, of course, and then he freaks out, almost gets run over, runs around in traffic a little bit more. It's it's absolutely insane. They're here already. You're next. He's like screaming at the top of his lungs. I had to turn this volume down at that part, actually. And then we get the... <laughs> we're back to the, the framing. Uh, he's he's now in a, like a doctor's office with uh, a couple dudes, like a cop and a doctor listening to him. And there's there's some other dudes in the room. And he's, he's explaining his situation while they all just kind of look at him like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the two guys, the doctor and the cop, go into the other room to discuss if Miles is actually crazy or maybe he does kind of have a point. Um, you know, they're kind of on the fence about that. Uh, and while they're discussing this, they emergency people come rolling in on with this uh, this guy on a gurney, and uh, they tell this ridiculous. He had been hit in traffic. Wow. Okay. Um, whatever. And uh, they described that they there were these pods on a truck coming from Santa Mira. So now these guys believe him. They put out a national alert. Like, they just get on the phone and call everybody that's important in the entire country. And, yeah. and then that's the end of the movie, with Jack just moping in the background, all dirty and sweaty. And movie over. Yeah, I like that it's it's like some psychologist is, like, telling police officers to, to like... Command the military to do shit. Call the FBI. <laughs> Call the White House. Like, what, what the fuck? Oh, sure. Uh, Officer Dudley Spencer from Santa Mira is calling Mr. President. Like, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and the whole thing with Becky is just infuriating. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, she even says, I went to sleep, Miles, and it happened. <sighs> and, like, she's still wearing the same clothes, so it's, she didn't, that's not a pod body. It's her 
her body got taken over. He even says, their bodies were now hosts harboring an alien form of life. It's like, no, that's not what you did. That, you didn't, that's not what was going on. No, that's not, they were replaced. The body was, was, basically, they don't even really explain it. You go to sleep and just vanish, apparently, and just turn into this, pod, the pod thing just spits out a different version of you, and you magically yeah. vanish. Unless you're Becky, in which case you just turn into a pod because you went to sleep. Yeah. Which doesn't make sense. It's like, what? Okay, so what? So (laughs) this dust, this space dust or, you know, alien space seeds only landed in Santa Mira, California? It makes no sense. Yeah. But they try really hard to make it end on a positive note as if he somehow saved humanity. Yeah, it's like okay, wow. I, I, is it worth saving? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nineteen fifties movies. It's very similar to uh, 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 the thing from Another Planet, where at the end it was like, well, thank God there were white men around. My God, there wasn't a single person of any color other than sheer white in this movie. <laughs> yeah, everybody was white as can be in this movie. You know, it's funny, funny thing about this movie, and it's something that I've been thinking a lot about uh, lately because I've been writing this fucking book, um, how everything happens in the United States. It's always in the United States because it's just, that's where these movies are made, so that must be where everything happens. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can't have the invasion of the body snatchers that just happens to take place in Uganda because then you'd have to learn about Uganda and film somewhere that looked like Uganda or maybe go there or whatever. So I just put it in the U.S. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And not just in the U.S., but like if you watch Mystery Science Theater 3000, about half of the movies that they watch are set in the very same desert and stairs as the one at the end of this movie. Like Laser Blast, uh, Mac and Me, it, that's, it's just the same spot. <laughs> It's great. I mean, it really, when they refer to it as the inner, the film industry, that's, it's exactly what it is. It was just a, it's just an industry, just pumping movies out. Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, just churning out the crud. And this one is pretty good. I mean, it's got some, it's got some cool stuff. And I do like it as much as we slagged it. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's very much, you know, a movie of its time. And, and I, that's not my time. It's before my time. So, you know, just, just like, you know, Anything that happens before you're around is just like this weird fantasy world that doesn't really exist, but you're yeah. told it does. And, and you know, then you see these depictions of it in film, and particularly in the 50s, verite was not was not a uh, very popular idea. You know, they, they worried about things like, but if the pods break out and they're naked, then, <laughs> then children can't see the movie. You know, like things like that that are completely irrelevant. Um you know, by the seventies, you know, as and as we'll discuss, you know, it reflects the seventies culture, uh, you know, in in its own way, and uh, does a pretty good job of it. But uh, yeah, this this movie was fun. I enjoyed it. It's uh, it's it's just kind of. I mean, it's, it almost feels like a made for TV movie, to be honest. But the 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 big saving grace for me is the special effects. Are they're 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 not very used very often they're just using a few shots the pods look ridiculous but when they when they open and do the whole latex foamy thing they look great they look I mean, really good yeah really well done like even the sound effects were great and that weird like the fizzy sound of the foam popping and yeah yeah 
Those weird latex bladders filling up and plopping on the ground. It was like, yeah, this is really good. Yeah, that was really good. And and whenever it shows like the the close up on the pod duplicate of him, and we see his face, but it has that obvious like clay foam chest mm-hmm. uh, and it's like close up in and you're like oh wow yeah that does look like him and then just out off from off screen the pitchfork comes down and through the chest you're like oh oh shit wow i was not <laughs> expecting that yeah it was pretty cool i, yeah. I was i really like the effects the effects really sell it and the and the idea is a cool idea i mean it's it's one of those movies where you know they're kind of one of the first to really you know put that idea into the mainstream and it's been done so many times now, it's hard to, it's kind of hard to keep in mind that this was kind of where it started, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, having said all that, I enjoyed the movie. I mean, did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. I think, um, I think the cinematography was really interesting, especially in that scene in the greenhouse where um, at that scene, whenever it, it, you first see the pods in the greenhouse, the camera is low and looking up at an angle and like moving around weird. And it's, it's really good. And um, I think it's when uh, uh, Jack has the pitchfork and he's like crouching low and, and like, like just sneaking up on the pods. And you can see, even though it's black and white, you can see the light glinting off of the, the tines of the pitchfork. It's like really good. And then of course there's, Lots of stuff that's just very 50s movie. Um, this guy did uh, go on to direct two episodes of the original run of The Twilight Zone. So, mm. like, it makes sense that it would feel that way. But, uh, you know, it, it, some of it's cheesy and of its time, but some of it is, like, really groundbreaking. And um, uh, one of the things that I thought was was groundbreaking, and I guess I'll, I'll roll this into my idea about it not being Red Scare, is the two main characters are are promiscuous. Like, mm-hmm. I think just briefly they mentioned that she's married and, uh, or maybe divorced. I don't know, but like... Yeah, both of them, yeah. Yeah, like they haven't seen each other in five years. They have, they, they are not together and, and they are just getting, both of them are real ready to just do it. And that's not typical Red Scare behavior. I think what's going on in this movie, because you get these things like there's no need for love and stuff like that. Uh, The director, Don Siegel, was not a conservative dude. He was Mm -hmm. like his movie uh, Riot in Cell Block, whatever, was a prison reform movie. Mm -hmm. And, And this movie is talking about sameness like this it it's like people are trying to all behave the same and there there's that one in there about being reborn into an untroubled world where everyone's the same right uh, i think this is not a scare about communists i think it's playing with the the red scare but i think it's actually talking about the fright of 1950s culture where everyone's driving the same car everyone's you know like you have to get the tv your your neighbor's got the tv your neighbor's got a microwave oven whatever it was i think this was him talking about that fear of of that like strong sameness and everyone rallying behind these like creepy superficial like social constructs 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that. That totally makes sense. I mean, it's, yeah, that's that's the era of mass production, that post-war boom where, you know, everybody acted like everything was great, but then now there was this threat of oblivion. Um, and that's obviously, that's where that the Red Scare thing comes from. And, you know, maybe it wasn't, yeah, I guess, I guess when you put it like that, and I, I totally agree with that. And I guess what I would say is they're, they're they are definitely playing off of, this this thing in the culture where we are, you know, supposed to believe that this other, you know, thing is like art, you know, and that because, yeah, you're right. It doesn't really mesh with the idea that, you know, we don't think of people in Russia as, you know, being emotionless drones. I mean, we, we drones maybe, I don't know, but we, we think of them as like, yeah. you know, well, you know, it depends, I guess. Maybe back in the 50s, they thought of them as uneducated peasants or something that were all, you know, being being dictated to by some autocrat. I don't know. Um, but, <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of looking at it because, you know, it, it totally it totally does fit in with, like, the, the whole suburban uniformity. You know, that was really the era where everybody had to have, you know, TV dinners were out and, you know, moms were you know, all this technology was being, you know, created so that moms could run a clean house and all this stuff. And and, and all throughout the movie, we keep getting these little, these little things like, oh yeah, there's the Grimaldi boy. And oh, uh, you know, everyone, everyone has a role to play in the society. And, and there's a set of expectations and they even play with it later whenever they're hiding in the doctor's office and they're overlooking the uh the town center he's talking about oh yeah there's that family just like they normally would be and there's that family just like they would normally be but you can see that they're waiting at the bus stop even though another bus doesn't come for two hours because there must be outsiders here and so they're putting on a display and so it's like there's there's these set expectations of everyone doing the same thing at the right times and if anything's not like that then that means that there's something horrifically wrong but but these two main characters aren't super conforming like they they travel away from the town he he just came back from a trip she mm-hmm. spent time in england which i can't imagine 1950s america was like yeah go spend time <laughs> in england and uh, and yeah it's just it it's super interesting um but you know it it has its problems i also like that that plot hole with Becky at the end that really pisses me off it makes me yeah that, so that whole mad. that plot hole is bad obviously the I I mean I, I can't say that you can forgive it for the way they treat the women but it's it's just very much a part of its time but as far as like the half-baked plot hole that does not necessarily have to be very much a part of its time it's just a half-baked fucking plot hole you know um there's yeah. there's other issues I had, you know, kind of with just the whole conceit. I mean, you know, why it, why does this alien life form that they're perfectly happy to just reside in human bodies? I mean, why? And why would they? I guess they're yeah, they're pretending to act like humans, but at the same time, they basically do act like humans. They're just unemotional, and that's kind of their their point. You know, like well. You know, we don't have to have emotions, you know, we don't have to worry about love. I mean, love never works and all this stuff. And um, and it's like, OK, well, that's great, whatever. And like, yeah, like his his whole thing is, yeah, I don't want to be like that. I'd rather take the risk of, you know, the risks that come with actually having emotions. And uh, OK, that's great. And 
but at the same time, it, I, they never really... They don't do a great job of kind of defining what the aliens are, but I guess it doesn't really matter. It's just kind of a... It's just kind of this idea that they can play this story off of. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as the Red Scare thing goes, though, I think it's like, you know, this idea that there's this insidious invader and that they look just like us, at least, you know, in that form they do. Um, you know, and they, they, in so many ways, they basically are like us, but they aren't. There's something different. There's something alien and they're dangerous. And at the time, there was this idea, particularly in Hollywood, um, you know, that the whole industry was being taken over by this communist element um, because there were a lot of communists in Hollywood at the time. And, the, you know, that, w- that was a, that was actually kind of a thing for a while. But then anybody was, you know, like everybody was accused of being a communist after that. So, you know, it was just silly. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good movie, though. I do. I really did enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. No, this this movie came out at a time when they were like, there were lists of people like like can't work with these people. Right. They're a communist. Yeah. And so part of this was that this was done through one of those little indie uh, production companies off to the side, not like the big production companies that had to adhere to a certain set of standards right. because otherwise the government would come after them. This was this was like a little like pirate movie company, which is fucking awesome. That is cool. Yeah, I think part of part of that ambiguity is to like kind of slide under the radar, be like, oh, see, we made a Red Scare movie. It's fine. Yeah. We're, we're all fine here. How are you? Yeah. I mean, it's not as overt as like The Thing, which is just, I mean, yeah. basically just comes right out and says it. Um, well, they, they do come yes. right out and say it. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, then I think about like, well, you know, I know I know that was just kind of the t- the business at the time, but then Don Siegel makes Reagan and and John Wayne's last movie, two of the most like ardent right wing douchebags in Hollywood history, uh, you know, just the worst until <laughs> until James Woods came along. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Scott Bayo and uh, Dean oh. Dean Kane and uh, so- Dean Kane. Oh, why why Dean Kane? Why? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, all of those Christian movie actors like. Uh, Hercules became like a Christian movie actor guy. Oh, so God, that's horrible. What was the young yeah. the young one? His sister was an actress, and he became all all super like Tim LaHaye ish Christian. I forget his name. Oh, Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron. All the Mister Battle for Christmas and all that shit. Oh my God, that movie's so <laughs> horrible. <laughs> it's, I don't understand that, but you know, it's it's whatever. Yeah, no. Uh, I can't remember the the Hercules guy was uh played the evil college professor in God's Not Dead. <laughs> oh my god. So stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. Wow. So uh so yeah. This movie. All right, so I I gave this movie a 4.1 out of 5 loathsome things. Um There's a lot of goodness, a lot of really cool 1950s practical effects, a lot of cool ideas coming through. It has some big flaws, especially that big old plot hole at the end. But also it had such a tremendous impact on horror movies to come. Like it like this, this was this movie was shocking and and it opened up whole new avenues. Of course, you know, you've got three remakes of it and you know a thousand movies with the the name the words pod people in it too um it's just 
it is it is very tainted by the era that it was made in but it also helped progress horror movies into the next era so i i believe it it deserves a little bit of extra love for that oh I, what about you john no i mean absolutely i think it, it definitely did that it's and it's 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 the kind of framework that that just the whole idea of it that can be redone over and over again and doesn't even have to necessarily be a remake i mean it's just you know which of course that idea is prevalent now but um yeah i mean it's 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 definitely like horror royalty. I mean, it 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 really had a profound effect on popular culture. Um, um, you know, like pod people. People say that all the time. They probably don't even know where it comes from. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But uh, I gave it. No, I gave it a, a three point eight five um, for a lot of basically a lot of the same reasons that that you did. I mean, it's I I it, it's hard because I kind of struggled with. The time period. And so there's a part of me that's like, you know, would I rate this higher at the time or whatever? Yeah, I probably would. But, you know, would I watch horror movies in the 50s? Who knows what I'd be doing then? So that's true. You know, so to be fair, I mean, like when I think about its its impact on on horror overall, for some reason for me, just and, and that's that's what my ratings are always about. Like a big part of my rating is is just kind of like my personal you know, what I get out of the movie. And, and and so for me, it's entertaining. I don't get anything out of it because it's an idea that's been done before, I mean, since. And, you know, it's... it's. Uh, I'm really glad this movie was there. I'm really glad it was made. Um, yeah, that plot hole is ridiculous. I really was... Obs- <laughs> it really bothered me the way this Becky character was, was portrayed. But then, you know, like... I bothered me the way the men were portrayed, like, you know, they're portrayed like they were, which is a bunch of bossy douchebags. Everybody thinks they know everything and they're all idiots. So, I mean, I guess that's accurate. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's 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 a great film. It's uh, it's it's had a huge impact on horror. And uh, yeah, so I gave it a three point eight five. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That is a 7.95 out of 10. I don't think it's going to crack the top 10, but it's a, a solid entry. And it's going to set the stage for our next two episodes, which will be judging as movies in their own right, but also comparing to this movie. And, and I think they like specifically call out the plot hole in the 78 Philip Kaufman movie. Like, like I think there's like a nod to it and a solution to it or something, but I'm, I'm not positive about that. I haven't actually seen the movie in a lot of years, uh, but I did read something about that. So, so that's going to be interesting. I, I saw it last year, but I wasn't scrutinizing it. Like we will be, um, I don't, I've seen it before, but, uh, that was probably the clearest viewing that I've had, you know, because I was, you know, I was older and just have a better take on stuff. But, uh, yeah, I don't remember that specifically. I do remember that that movie fucking smokes, though. <laughs> I oh, love man. that movie. <laughs> What's the deal with mud baths? That's one of the only visuals that I have in my memory from that movie is that they're just, like, chilling in hot mud tubs for some reason. And... I didn't even remember that Leonard Nimoy was in it. Uh, oh my god! Uh, yeah, he's like he's like a, a self help guru bad guy or something. <laughs> the cast is great, yeah, and the performances are really good too. And it's 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 disturbing. I mean, it it you know it's dated too, but you know it's it's certainly more 
feels more modern than the 56 one. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, th- that movie did not establish this idea. The 56 one did. So, yeah. you know, it really deserves credit for that. Uh, have you seen any good horror stuff? Oh, shit. I did not prepare for that question. Um, I don't think I have. I watched uh, most of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. <laughs> nice. Uh, it was it was really cool at the beginning. It had like a, a fun little uh setup and and even some some fun with the follow through but then it just turned into now Pooh and Piglet menace and and mutilate a sequence of women uh for another hour and a half or whatever it's like okay at a, at a certain point i was like mm, i think i've done i've got everything that i need out of this very one dimensional, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 but it, good, good at the onset. What about yourself? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, there was a couple of horror movies I watched that weren't even worth talking about. They were just terrible. But, um, the one thing I watched that was, was worth talking about is that show Swarm. Um, oh, yeah. It's, uh, original, like, it's, it's made by, well, it was co created by Donald Glover and a woman whose name escapes me, but she's from Houston. Oh. Uh, so the original episode takes place in Houston. The characters, the main characters are from Houston. It's based around this pop singer who is very clearly meant to be Beyonce. Not Beyonce. And, yeah. And this girl that uh, is completely obsessed with her, like mega fan, like fanatical. Uh, and then basically, you know, some some bad things happen to a friend of hers. And she basically becomes a serial killer. Oh, nice. <laughs> and drives around the country. But it's very surreal. It's almost like... Like an urban, like, uh, you know, like a black version of, of like a black take on uh, kind of David Lynch surrealism Ooh. with like a lot of humor and a lot of violence. Uh, it's a very good show. Nice. So I watched that and fucking loved it. So I highly recommend it. Nice. I'll have to check that out. Spotify, which I don't pay for, so I get commercials will not stop advertising that uh, that show to me. It's just like over and over again. And I was like, okay, I don't know about this, but now I think I will actually try it. Thank you all. It's really good. Like when I first when I first started it, I just was kind of curious and I'm, I was like ready to turn it off at any moment. Um, but it starts, it opens and they're in Houston. So right away I'm like, okay, well, I, that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been to that city before. Yeah, don't live there. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was great. I loved it. Nice. So, anyways, that's about it. Very cool. <laughs> well, I guess then we will let you all get back to your very busy weekends. Um, let's see. Uh, join us again in two weeks when we cover the 1978 film directed by Philip Kaufman, Kaufman. Invasion of the Boomer Snatchers. Oh, man. Get thine booms. <laughs> And uh, uh, do good things. Don't do fascism. Um, beware of communists and your neighbors. And shove a bunch of tissues in thine blouse. And as always, I'm sorry that you all have to die. <laughs>